Our text is from uh, 1 Timothy. I'll read only one verse. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Let's hear God's word. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this counsel that Paul gave to Timothy and pray that we would receive it as well. Thank you for your word, Lord. Apply it to our minds and hearts. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen. Not only is the communion meditation on one verse, it's really only on the first four words. Fight the good fight. I'm going to begin with the last word and work through to the beginning. Both are fight. Fight the good fight. And so a fight in this context is a battle. And so what is a good fight? One definition I remember a pastor sharing is that a good fight is one in which you win. So that was his definition of a good fight. I think that's helpful. It's, it's, uh, it certainly makes sense. And yet, I believe there is some subjectivity to that. We tend to consider ourselves good, perhaps better than most. So good then is subjective based on whether we're winning or losing. And I really don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he said, fight the good fight. As an illustration of this, though, I remember when Janet Reno was President Clinton's uh, attorney general. She was asked about her opinion on Roe v. Wade. She said, when in law school, I participated in two debates on Roe v. Wade. I, I led the debate team for being for abortion and against abortion, and I won both debates. She regarded herself as good at fighting in both of those debates. And so you can see that that fits for lawyers, this moral relativism that lawyers are encouraged to embrace by saying this really only matters if you win. That's what it all comes down to. So see, good though is a very broad word, many, many subtlety, uh, subtle definitions. So good can be taken differently, for instance, uh, especially in the context, I'll share three and all of them, I think within the context of sports, uh, sporting events are likened to battles, to fights. There are aspects of that to which it are true, obviously not to the full extent, but yet some people will say that was a good game. Well, what do they mean? If they described a game as good, what do they mean? Again, some could say it was a good game because your team won. That's always a good game when your team wins. Another could be that they were balanced. They were well-balanced teams. The, the lead kept changing. This team was leading, that team was leading. Some regard that as a good game. But some would point at a game like that and say, well, no, that wasn't a very good game because both of those teams are horrible. They kept fumbling, intercepting. If it's football, they kept all, making all these mistakes. It was kind of like a comedy show, not a sporting event. So again, what defines it as good? Is it that it's balanced, relatively equal? Or is it that they're skilled participants? They're going at it. They're the best at it. Or is it the last one, which is actually far more common within our context, and that it is a moral good. It's making a moral statement. Paul believed in winning. 
he used a lot of analogies relative to competition. And so competition can apply whether you're competing against yourself, if you're like, let's say, a runner, and for the most part, you compete against yourself. You're always trying to improve your own time. Swimming, same thing. Yes, in an event you'll have competitors, but really it has to do with how well you can execute individually. A good fight is one in which you're on the right side. In addition to having won it, which is wonderful, you are on the right side. You want to be on the right moral side in any battle. This is why it's important for us to question the justice of a war or a battle that we're in. Are we doing God's will or are we not? People, we individuals, cannot check our morality prior to entering into a war. We have to behave morally. We have to hope that we are collectively behaving morally. So he said, fight the good fight. The is a word that we typically throw away. Fight the good fight. This tells us that this fight is not just one skirmish. It is the entire war. Fight the good fight. So yes, there are many battles in a war, but yet there is this overarching aspect that there is a oneness in that war. You have to remember your goals. What are your goals? And he goes on to say it. His goals were, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. Paul is giving the rationale behind why this war exists and what you're to attempt to accomplish in it. So how do you win a battle? How do you win a war? How do you win a sporting event even? You cannot win based on a defense alone. You see this all the time in competitive events where people get ahead and then they try to win by not losing and they, their offense takes a break apparently. And then their, their enemy, the opponent, passes them and then they have to again go on the offense. So you cannot win a war defensively. It is said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What does that mean? Gates don't come after you. They don't come after me. Gates are what we go after. So we, as the church, go after the gates of evil. We take cities. So see, that's an offensive strategy. You cannot win by just being defensive. So for instance, in your personal life, you cannot win just by not sinning, not, by not doing evil today. You have to do good. You have to go on the offensive. This is why God often orchestrates it that way. The put off, the put on. Don't do this, do, do that. You must want to win. And so the question is, do you really want to win? Are you all in today in serving the Lord? Or do you take little mental breaks, long mental breaks? Do you feel that you're ahead? You can now coast to victory, i.e. death. Many people don't finish well. It's one of the things that people advocate for as you're maturing, as you're growing older. Don't coast. Don't think you can coast. Pursue God. Pursue faithfulness, offensive strategy, all the way up to death. Even as God is restricting our abilities 
by having us lose eyesight, hearing, mobility, all these things. But yet they don't prevent us from fighting the spiritual war that he has us engaged in. Fight the good fight of faith. And so we are fighting a war of faith. This is something worth fighting for. You want to fight for faith. Eternal life is the goal that he shares. He's striving for. This is ultimately where the finish line is. You end this life and you enter into that life eternal. And he tells Timothy, you were also called to this. So he's reminding Timothy of the fact that he has a lot invested in this fight thus far. Don't quit now. Keep going. Keep fighting. You were called to this. This is your purpose on earth. He said that he confessed the good confession. So he began on this road of faith by expressing faith, by confessing that this is what he wanted. We have to commit in order to really pursue initiatives. We can't do it surreptitiously. We have to declare our intentions on this earth. So good is used in this moral way in this context. Fight the good fight. And yet Paul is also encouraging Timothy to pursue victory, to want to win, to take action to win, to don't get lazy, don't coast, don't just go on the defensive. None of those strategies will work. None of those will result in victory. Paul was competitive. I don't know whether he played peewee soccer or little league in his youth, but he became a very competitive individual in life. And we want to be competitive like him. He counseled Timothy to endure, to view the fight as worth the cost, the sacrifice. And so when we come to the table, think of the table as if you're a boxer. Ding. The round just ended and you go sit down. You are so thankful that there's a spot for you to sit for a minute and rest while you're overcoming the blows that you endured in that round. That's what Sundays are for many of us. And I think that's a rightful way of viewing it. This is where, ding, you're in the corner, you're resting, you're <laughs> replenishing. But the bell will sound again and you'll go into another round. That's the way God has designed our world. And so we don't want to get too content sitting on that stool in the corner. So when we come to the table, recognize that this is God refreshing you. This is God giving you rest. Let's revel in it. Father God, we thank you for the fact that we do have a rest awaiting us, an eternal rest, this eternal Sabbath rest. And yet in the interim, we have these worship services in which you comfort us and lead us into your presence. You draw us close to yourself and remind us of what it is that we're fighting for. We thank you so much, Father, for life and all of your many gifts. We thank you for the gift of salvation and pray that we would value it highly, that we ourselves would live it out and be a joyful and content in all of the ways in which you blessed us. We give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen.